Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Or should I say, there was an idea. I'm your host TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, I am the Watcher. I'm joined by return guest Emily Calloway in a discussion about the first three episodes of What If. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind the scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today, I'm joined by the always delightful Emily Calloway in what is her fourth appearance on There Was an Idea. Welcome back, Emily. Hello. Now, you have talked about your relationship to the MCU a few times here on the podcast, so listeners will have to go back to the episodes on Ultron or Endgame or Falcon Episode 4 to hear more about that. But you weren't on the show to discuss Loki. And before we get into talking about what if today, I am itching to hear some of your thoughts on that series. What did you think about Loki? I loved Loki. I'm so confused on the timeline thing. I understood none of it. So most of it was like, uh, just pretend you understand and keep watching. And that's kind of where I am. I don't like people in my family were asking me, oh, can you explain like why this variant is wrong and why it took so long for Sylvie to be captured as a variant if she's a girl? And that was her what if. I'm like, I have no idea. So a lot of it I was very lost in, but it was so enjoyable. That's great. I love that you just embraced the weird and... That's very much how I'm feeling about what if as well. Going into what if, I felt a little bit hesitant, like, what is this all about? And is this almost going a little bit too far with this concept of alternate timelines and things like that? But I've found that once I sit back and kind of just embrace the wild ride, it's a lot of fun. There's been another Marvel release since we last spoke, and that is the film Black Widow. Did you see it? Twice. Um, I saw it opening night with Rachel. And then I saw it a few days later with Brooke and two other friends. And then the second time I saw it in the middle of it when all the Black Widows are coming to get them at the mother's farm and everything and all Mm -hmm. the sirens are going off. The fire alarm went off in the middle of that. So it was like a 4D experience because there was the sirens in the movie and the actual sirens. And like we had to evacuate and it was crazy. But yeah, it was (laughs) good experience. That's fantastic. Like you said, a 4D experience. And of course, shout out, of course, to Rachel and Brooke, who have both been on the show as well. Uh, So you did like Black Widow. I liked it. The ending got chaotic with the fighting in the air. But that was another just like leaning into the weird part when I don't understand it. But it was good. Yeah, I actually I went to the theaters to see Black Widow a total of five times. I've talked about this on the podcast, how much I love Black Widow. And the last time I saw it was actually with my partner, Karina, who I've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. She is not really a Marvel fan. And the way that she's approached the MCU, in fact, would probably make a lot of diehard fans kind of anxious because she watched WandaVision, but like nothing else. I think she's seen Black Panther, maybe some of Captain Marvel. It's a thing. But she agreed to go see Black Widow with me because I was so excited about it. And the entire time, especially moments like Natasha falling and somehow not breaking her entire body and the explosion of fire, you know, that last scene with the flying around, she just kept like, like touching my knee and pointing to the screen. Like, I I wish 
listeners can see what I'm doing, but like looking at me like completely incredulous, like what, what, what's going on? And kind of laughing. And I was like, this, this is the MCU. <laughs> this is what you signed up for going to a movie like this. So anyway, incredible. Uh, a lot of love for Black Widow, a lot of love for Loki. And so there's been a lot going on in the MCU. This is like our fifth this year. And we have like Shang-Chi, like so many coming out still. Yeah. It's very like condensed. <laughs> yeah. So, so Shang-Chi next week, Eternals and Spider-Man, No Way Home. Did you watch the trailer for Spider-Man? Yes, both the pre-recorded one that was not supposed <laughs> to be out and then the actual one. So it was good. That movie is, I mean, listen, I have been loving the TV series. I loved Black Widow so much. I'm very excited for Shang-Chi and for Eternals, but there's something about the Spider-Man trailer that's just like on a completely different level. It, it feels like almost endgame level excitement uh, when yeah, you look at the, Twitter. and The trailer beat the amount of views within like the first 24 hours before Endgame. Like I thought that was crazy. And Endgame was like huge. Like that was like years thinking about it. And so people just really love Spider-Man. Like he's your favorite, favorite, was it your friendly neighborhood (laughs) Spider-Man? That's what it is. Everyone's so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, That one I'm almost definitely going to see in theaters. So I'm good. It feels like that is going to be a spectacle on the big screen and Mm -hmm. That will be coming out in December, so still some time before that, but a lot to yes, ramp December up to. December 17th. <laughs> oh, see, you got it. <laughs> well, we are here today to talk about the What If series. I have to be forthcoming about some of my trepidation about the series going into it because, I, you know, I and I tried to unpack why I was feeling a little bit hesitant about the series. And I think some of it comes down to my relationship to animation, to animated series, because I really love animated sitcoms like Bob's Burgers. It's like one of my favorite shows. But I've always struggled to get into some of the longer form dramatic storytelling in an animated series. So like The Clone Wars, I've watched a couple of arcs for uh, a couple of arcs of that. And I've really enjoyed what I've seen. But it was not something that I went and kind of fully dived into, dove into. Same with Avatar. Have you watched these series? I seen some of Clone Wars, have not seen Avatar. Okay. I, what's what's your relationship to anim- animated series like this? Love them. Okay. I like watched, me and Rachel, like we make a big deal out of them. Like we find one that we want to watch together and then like we'll have a sleepover and like watch a whole series. Um, <laughs> I love that. So like it's a big thing that I get into. Like I watch a lot of anime, cartoons, animation. So I felt like this was kind of right in like my area of animation that I like because it's kind of... um lighthearted in the sense that I enjoyed and I liked it. I liked the jokes like I understood all the backstories of it so it was good yeah and I think I think you bringing up the comment about having the background knowledge enhancing the experience of watching a series like what if is really important and I think maybe another reason why I was a little bit trepidatious about it going in was I I, I think I was a little bit concerned about stakes and consequences in the larger MCU. So this idea of having all of these different alternate timelines, the idea of the multiverse, it makes me a little bit nervous about, well, I want to know that what's already happened in the Infinity Saga is still consequential and important. And how, I guess the question for me was like, how are these episodes of What If going to have as much impact on me as something that feels like you know, to go back to Loki, something that was in the sacred timeline. 
And why is it sacred to me? Well, just because I guess that was the original run of the MCU. And that's why it feels like that's the untouchable thing. So all of that to say, I felt a little bit like that going in. And I'm glad that outside circumstances have led me to the decision to have this conversation with you today about the first three episodes as opposed to taking each one by one, because I feel like with each one that has come out, I've been understanding it a little bit more. Like I'm gaining a better understanding of what the role of this series is in the larger MCU and feeling a lot more excited about it than I did certainly before it came out and even after just episode one. So what are your thoughts on the show so far? I know you said you enjoy the jokes, but do you see any pros and cons to the animated format or has anything surprised you about what they've done with it? Um, so I love animated format because right. I think it opens so much more possibility than what you can get with like a big blockbuster budget. Like you can do so much with that, but like it's not going to do everything that animation can. And so I think that's kind of what the animation brings into it because it allows for that kind of condensed storyline. And it's a smaller production rate sometimes, mm. especially when you have like such a big cast because it's all voice acting rather than acting for a movie. So that's one thing that I really like, kind of um, Marvel, but Sony Marvel into the Spider-Verse. I feel like it's similar to that, where it allowed a lot more options compared to like other Spider-Man movies that we've had so far. And then, oh, I forget what you, you said something before that reminded me of something that I wanted to say, but I forget. So I might come back. <laughs> <laughs> About the stakes and consequences or? Oh, kind of. So... I didn't really understand what What If was going to be either until that final episode in Loki. And then I was like, oh, this is all the timelines rather than just being like, oh, so this is a interesting show that has no idea how it connects to the plot at all. But now it actually connects to the plot in the sense that it's what if for these different divergences on the sacred timeline with air quotes. Um, so that was interesting because it was kind of like a puzzle piece connecting. It's like, now I understand why the show's here. Um, rather than a, this is just a fun excuse to like animate everybody and have them do things that we yeah. haven't been able to and do comic lines we haven't had yet. So yeah. it was good. Yeah, absolutely. I think when, you know, back on Disney Investor Day in December when they announced the upcoming slate of MCU Phase 4, I, especially that time, I was like, what the heck is what if? And like, is it just going to be like a fun kind of comic book brought to animated life on the screen that doesn't have much connection to the larger story. And of course, the way things unfolded with Loki and like, as you said, that last episode, okay, that's what kicks off What If, I think uh, I think was really effective. I feel like I knew about What If pre-Endgame even. Mm. And so like, just because like so far ahead of just like the talk about like animated Marvel coming out, oh, I was like, cool. oh, what's that? And so just kind of knowing ahead of time, be like, where does this fit? it does not fit at all what's going <laughs> to happen that at least like an animated series. So it was, it's interesting. Yeah, but yeah. And I didn't even remember that there was whisperings about what if being, being a thing that far back, but they're so good with how they plan out years in advance, uh, how these stories are going to, to be unraveled. And even with the pandemic changing the release schedule of some of the shows and movies, I think that they've done a good job of kind of reworking how they all connect. So I agree that the animated format definitely allows for some action and some spectacle 
that you wouldn't necessarily see in the on the big screen, so to speak. But I at first getting into this show, I found the voices, whether they were acted by the actor who played the character originally or not, there was something a little bit uncanny about that to me, watching the voices match up with the cartoon. And I have since gotten over it now that I've watched a few of the episodes and I rewatched them. But maybe it's just like the whole Polar Express thing. I sometimes feel Mm. a little bit of that. (laughs) That movie makes me so uncomfortable and I don't know what it is about it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's that uncanny valley. Like it, it's familiar to you in so many ways. But there's something that, like, like a minor thing that makes it unfamiliar, and then it just kind of gives you the, the creeps. But as I said, I've mostly gotten over that, and I do love this format of this show. I love the narration by the Watcher character. I think that's great, and so good continuation of his introduction before yeah. it becomes like a bigger character which i really enjoy. Yes, and i do think that we will see that character in in live action in the future. I also kind of enjoy how he the narrator the watcher is overtly stating the themes of the episode and of the show in a way that sometimes i don't want media to overstate what the theme of the thing is, but it's kind of it kind of works here i think because it's guiding the audiences, like you said, into kind of understanding what the heck is this what if thing. And I think it makes the most sense. He refers to himself as a guide and I like that. So just to specifically point out a couple of examples of what I am talking about, uh, some of the lines from The Watcher that I really enjoy, I have here, for example, he starts off each episode, he says, time, space, reality, three of our infinity stones. He says, it's more than a linear path. It is a prism of endless possibility where one single choice can branch out into infinite realities, creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am the watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question, what if? So again, almost like very much like hand-holding the viewer in a way of like... It's like a tour guide. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. The watcher, the tour guide. He talks to us about how he observes, but does not interfere. And I think that that just for me brought up the eternal like the eternals because we know yes. they're coming up in the trailer it that's almost like exactly for a line that they say and it's so frustrating to like see people have all this power and not intervene but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and i like how they animate it too in, in a couple of the episodes where you just sort of see that the silhouette of the watcher up in the sky and it kind of reminds you that he's there so yeah I'm, I'm interested in this idea that clearly the mcu is interested in with this uh omniscient creatures or be omniscient beings who are watching but who aren't interfering and what would it take for them to interfere and will there be a moment in which the watcher decides to or has to interfere and what might that look like so do you have a favorite episode of the three that have come out so far no i have no idea what my favorite one is because i think like you, I'm kind of still getting my bearings for the show itself because it's not like a continued storyline. It's a new storyline every time. So I think that's like something I won't be able to reflect on until I've seen all of them. Although it's even more frustrating because I don't know what the rest of the what if storylines are going to be. Yes. Like you don't know what's going to be in what upcoming week. Like you only know the different animations from the trailer. So 
I know we're going to get like another episode with like Steve and Bucky, but I have no idea when. <laughs> so it's very painful to wait. <laughs> Patience. Yeah, yeah. We know that there's going to be Killmonger in one of them. We know that there's going to be zombies in one of them just from the trailers, as you said. But yeah, I'm finding it kind of delightful. It, yes, painful, but I also, you know, I enjoy the pain. It's like a delightful pain <laughs> of every week being like, oh, which one is it this week that we're going to see? And I have to say the one that surprised me the most that I wasn't really expecting. And what I would say is my favorite one is the third episode, because I think that it kind of progressed what this series is doing. And it helped me personally understand it a little bit more. And I don't want to overstate my own sense of misunderstanding. I don't want to make it sound like I don't get what What If is all about, because I do. But I really wanted to feel like I was bought into how it plays a role in the larger series. And I kind of felt like the first episode was pretty much a retelling of the first Avenger with the one major variable changed. And then the second episode was a mashup of two worlds that took one character and examined, you know, his impact on the world around him. And I do think both of those were successful, but I felt like I kind of knew what to expect with both of those formats. And the third one, I really had no idea. And I was very surprised with how it unfolded. Yeah, I think the main reason why is because you know coming in what the what if moment is for episode three, it's not revealed until the very end. Yes. And so that was another suspenseful moment where it's kind of like, what went wrong in the episode three timeline that made it diverge from the sacred timeline? Yeah. And so episode one, we knew what happens if Peggy Carter took this serum. Um, episode two, what happened if T'Challa was picked up from Earth instead? So right off the bat, you see the divergence happen. For episode three, we don't see it at all. We just see the effects of it. So it's a different story that we've had for the first two where you see the change happen episode three you don't you know that's an excellent point and I didn't completely think of it that way I had actually been thinking as I was watching the third episode what if the earth lost its mightiest heroes I believe that's the title of it I was wondering for a moment as I was watching it why they didn't lead with that one because in many ways, it brings us back to where the Infinity Saga really began in earnest, right? With Nick Fury, there was an idea, OG Avengers. And it would have, in some ways, felt like a natural starting off point for this series of, of alternate storylines, right? Because it also includes Loki, who's fresh on audiences' minds. So I was kind of thinking, hmm, like, why didn't they lead with this one? And I think some of what you're saying kind of answers my question. Mm-hmm. It's the one that kind of takes the format a little bit differently. The Captain Carter episode that kicks it off is very clear. Like, here is the one choice that was made and the variable that is different and kind of eases viewers into this whole thing in a different way. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Am I rambling? Um, for episode two, it's not as much of a... You see, you don't realize what happened and what went wrong until you get to a flashback, kind of, I think. Mm-hmm. Or when you find out that he lied about his parents being dead and everything. Right. Um, but then in the beginning, you also find out it's the vibranium that messed up, like, the alien technology, so they got the wrong kid. And then they're like, does this look like the kid? And they're like, all humans look alike. That <laughs> yeah, was like a that. funny line. <laughs> um, and so 
is very obvious compared to episode three, where I didn't even really realize what it was until I was like reading like Easter eggs and everything. Mm. And um, it was Screen Rant that pointed out it's a divergent all the way back from the Winter Soldier timeline. So in like, I don't know when, but in the Winter Soldier movie, Natasha's telling Steve how she was tasked with pulling a nuclear engineer out of Iran. Mm -hmm. um, But the Winter Soldier appeared and killed the scientist who Natasha refers to as him. Mm -hmm. And so if I remember what happens, like it's like the Winter Soldier shoots through the guy to get to Natasha to kill or whatever. That's like a whole storyline. However, in the storyline that we know, the sacred storyline, it's a him. In our storyline, it's Hope Van mm. Dyne. And so that's where that difference is. It's no longer uh, he that the Winter Soldier killed. It's Hope Van Dyne. So it goes like it really connects. And like I didn't realize until I had like read it somewhere. But it's crazy. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. So thanks for finding that information. That's really, really cool. And yeah, that that third episode really, like I said, really energized me and, and got me more invested into this world of what if. But I also don't want to discount the things that I really enjoyed about the first two episodes. So, you know, I was saying before that for a moment, I kind of thought maybe they should have led with the Earth's Mightiest Heroes episode as a natural starting off point. But at the same time, I think Captain Carter was a good way of getting us into what if and she's kind of like the poster child for it a little bit like she's right front and center on all of the what do you call that on the what do you call that no idea <laughs> she's right front and center all the promotional material is what i'm getting at there you go <laughs> I, I i do think that works um what else did you think about the captain carter episode as somebody who i know is a big fan of steve and bucky and that side of the I universe. liked it. So kind of connecting to what you're saying, how you're a bit confused why it wasn't episode three that was first. I think episode three is the first episode would have made a huge impact to like straight up see in another timeline, everyone you love is dead. Like all of the main heroes you know, they're just dead. That's not a thing anymore. And to, like completely turn like 180 of like the first Avengers film that we all know and what so many people came in with. Like, that was my first Marvel film. That was the first one that I saw and everything. And so I feel like that would have had a big impact. Yeah. But also, it's such a confusing storyline at points because you kind of have to know that, like, background lore of, like, the Winter Soldier and this offhand comment that Natasha made to Steve Rogers to really put everything together. And, like, I love the Winter Soldier, and I didn't connect it until I read it somewhere else. Yeah. So I kind of see that. And then the other reason that episode one I do think was chosen to be episode one is because, first of all, Agent Carter has like a huge fan base. Yes. People love that show. People really missed her. And so I think everyone was excited to see her come back. But it's also one of those classic stories in the MCU and it's just those iconic scenes that were easily able to be recreated. Um, the punching bag, storming Hydra base for the troops, three cheers for um, mm. Captain Carter, but it's Steve Rogers saying it this time. And so is those recreation of the fam- familiarity where only one thing's really changed yeah. that kind of allowed it to be an easier introduction rather than everyone you love is dead. So, Excellent points. And the Watcher, who I was saying before, I, I 
probably have more of a affinity for than many people who are watching this. So I guess hashtag watcher stan, I guess that's me. But in that episode as well, the Captain Carter episode, he even explicitly says after Erskine says, Agent Carter, wouldn't you be more comfortable in the booth? And she says, I prefer to stay. The Watcher narrates, that's the moment that created a new universe. When asked to leave the room, Margaret Peggy Carter chose to stay, but soon it would be her venturing into the unknown and creating a new world, right? So again, a little bit of that guidance for audiences to draw our attention to, okay, in each of these episodes, we're going to be looking for that one moment from which everything else diverges, as you said. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Trey from MCU Need to Know, a guest on the show many times. I've been a guest on his and Jude's show many times. In the episode that he did analyzing the Captain Carter episode, he had a great breakdown of this moment that he called the choice and what it signified for Peggy to stay in the room and that motif of her at the time being a woman, not having a voice, right? Not even being able to be in the room and how she flips that on, I forget his name now, later on in the in the episode. So I did think that was very powerful. What else did you like about that episode? Um, reading an interview from Sebastian Stan, just him being so surprised that he could be funny in an <laughs> MCU film and show and everything, because that's just not his character. I find him funny, but I guess he doesn't <laughs> think his character is funny. And so he said that's his what if. His what if is oh, what cool. if Bucky is funny. And I was like, that is pretty funny. I like it. And one of the better jokes I liked was Bucky joking about Peggy almost ripping his arm off, which is like a clear like nod to him losing his arm as the Winter Soldier. But in this storyline, he doesn't become the Winter Soldier. He gets to keep both arms. And so it's a fun little, so close to the real timeline, but you're not. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. And seeing Steve remaining his original physical self, (laughs) but having the role of the Hydra Stomper. Yeah. He's like the first Iron Man kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting, too, that in in this timeline, we have, like you said, this early version of an Iron Man character and Steve is playing that role, but we don't have a Winter Soldier stand-in at all. And I was a little bit surprised by that. I thought there might be some form of hint or something as to who in this version might be a Winter Soldier. Do you think we just have no Winter Soldier at all? For some reason, I think it would have been Steve in this timeline. I don't know if it's hinted at in the show, though, or if my mind's just like grasping for someone, but I feel like Steve would have been another interesting thing. Um, Just to push a queer agenda um <laughs> because steve and bucky like that's a, like a popular fanship that a lot of right. people have and now it's like peggy and steve and so i thought that was like interesting so steve would kind of be the winter soldier now but grasping at straws <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're you're not my only guest who is a uh, stucky fan <laughs> does, does does the fandom like stucky or is that uh is that a faux pas the the phrase the the portmanteau stucky yeah um <laughs> tumblr yes twitter people just say steve bucky which gotcha. is very different because i grew up on tumblr and so i'm used to like the mashing of names and everything yeah. and now people just put the names next to each other i'm like yes it's so much clearer 
but there's no creativity. I was like, I was so excited seeing like all the weird combinations people would make despite it being absolutely hideous as a word. (laughs) Um, And now it's just like two names next to each other. So people just kind of say Steve Bucky now. And I'm like, okay. Stucky is is a little bit of a hideous word, but Mm -hmm. I was just curious about that. An interesting cultural shift to analyze perhaps in in the shipping world of of fandom. But regardless, I... I did find it delightful to see, quote unquote, skinny Steve interacting with Peggy and see the bond that the two of them do have. And and you're making like a all cute (laughs) gesture right now. (laughs) I liked it because I also really liked how um, Peggy, like when Steve became captain america and had the serum and everything peggy like touches his chest and everything and now and so she was so amazed at his new body and now he's so amazed at her new body and like it's just a fun like switch so it's interesting it's like that tiktok trend from like a while ago like just flip the switch like (laughs) whatever (laughs) yeah it's kind of like that oh that's Um, great (laughs) it was nice i liked it i like that even when they're still kind of like the same. They're also different and you still get that same romance and all the interactions and referencing the so-called dance going forward. And yeah. I still hold you to promising of having the dance. And I was like, Oh, that's sweet. As much as I love Steve and Bucky together. I also really love <laughs> Steve and Peggy together, which a lot of people do not like because I think a lot of people just don't like Peggy. I don't know why I love Peggy, but that's yeah. like an interesting thing. Like I love Steve and Peggy. It's like a, fun sweet romance it is it is and i like the suggestion in this episode that even in alternate timelines they do have that connection they do have that bond that steve who in this episode was meant to get the serum he doesn't have a sense of jealousy or anything like that right like he very much is the same steve that we always know who just wants to do good and he wants to take on whatever role is necessary to do good and i think that's great and i think also we see that Peggy is obviously a good person in a different way than Steve, right? But we know that the serum enhances who the person is. And it was very cool to see her good qualities become enhanced. It was, I am also a fan of Peggy to have Haley Atwell's voice back. I I am thinking that we will see Captain Carter in live action at some point in the future. I really hope so. I'd really love if they would bring back Agent Carter. Um, just, that's just like an yeah. out there thing. If anyone's listening, Agent Carter, we all miss it. Put it out in the um, universe. Yeah. Manifesting it. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I also really like the idea of being no matter the different timeline, people who love each other will still find a way to get back to each other. Cause it's like just a sweet romance kind of trope thing. And it's like fun to read. Yeah. Um, and like, I love romance stories. I love romance books. Like it's one of my favorite genres cause it's just so heartwarming And so it's always exciting to kind of see that come back. And so I really did like Endgame Steve going back to Peggy. Mm -hmm. Even if I did think it was out of character, part of me was also like, oh, my God, he went back to her. That's so sweet. Um, So I'm big with Steve and Peggy together. So it's good. Yeah. Well, if episode one of What If takes this premise of what if a person, Peggy Carter, ends up in a different role than we expected her to be. And that's great. And then the second episode 
also takes that, right? So what if a person, T'Challa, ends up in a different role than we saw him in the original timeline? So in this case, he takes on this role of Star-Lord. But episode two, more than episode one, unpacks a little bit further, not just what if this individual ends up in a different role, but the question of what if a role is occupied by a different individual? And those are two different questions, right? Because we want to see, okay, what does it mean for T'Challa to be Star-Lord? But what is explored even more in episode two is what does it mean for the role of Star-Lord, the identity of Star-Lord, to be taken on by a man like T'Challa, specifically T'Challa, as opposed to a man like Peter Quill. And I thought that was really interesting how they explored that. What did you... Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, what stood out to you about episode two? Nice Thanos, just like everybody, is a complete shock. Yeah. And... I also loved the idea because animation, I always feel like it's made to be more available to kids, especially a Disney show. And so I kind of really liked this idea of teaching this lesson that talking to someone, no matter how different the views, you can always find like a common ground. Um, And someone who's seen as like the villain can become a really nice guy and is working towards saving planets with all these other nice guys. And so I thought that was a very sweet um, story to tell, kind of in like the background and kind of just hint towards it. But nice Thanos really freaked me out. (laughs) It was weird. Um, It was good though. (laughs) It was, it was weird. And I, I like what you're pointing out about the lesson to be learned from this. And I think a lot of it speaks to the power of T'Challa's character and the positive beacon of light that he is in all that surrounds him there's a question that the that the watcher poses is your destiny determined by your nature or by the nature of your world right and that kind of gets to the question of nature or nurture and things like this and so we see T'Challa in this episode reconciling his found family and the world that he was adopted into with his original world and his biological family and the world of Wakanda after having that moment of telling Yondu like you're not my family right he he very quickly in the end kind of comes around to telling his uh his dad back in Wakanda this is the family I made along the way right so anyhow I think that that's uh you know that's a pretty straightforward thing that they're doing there but I think that this question of how a person impacts the world around them is a really interesting one and there's a joke in this episode that the collector says to T'Challa about boring somebody to death just with his sanctimony or something like that and it's true that like if there's anything negative about T'Challa it's that he's just like too good and he's just like always has these lines that are so like powerful and meaningful but I, I like what you're pointing out about the lesson that it shares that a person who has that goodness can influence even someone like Thanos in this really positive way. I also like that there was kind of that storyline parallel of him with Thanos compared to the Black Panther movie of him with... Killmonger? Yeah, Killmonger. Um, How he talks him down at the end. Yeah. And so it's, again, going to that talk to people. And it's a nice... Sometimes I'm realistic, but it's always nice to see that storyline. And so I really enjoyed... Also tying into the how does your person affect the world around you rather than the world affecting your person. And so it's very much a T'Challa affects the world around him rather than letting the world affect him. 
Yeah. And so I liked that consistency in his storyline. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you think of some of the cameos here from Nebula and Drax? Also great. Um, So many thoughts. I love that Drax's family is alive and that fun little photo that he made him do just so we could all know that his wife and daughter is not killed and that they're alive and Drax is happy and he's still his weird self. (laughs) And so that was exciting. And then... Taserface being alive from Guardians of the Galaxy, him making a cameo as part of the found family. Like, that was a fun thing. I hope that was the same voice actor because that's like fun to come back to. Yeah. Um, and what else I like? Oh, Nebula. She has hair. Yeah. And only one part of her is changed. And so that's a much nicer storyline. And I like to think T'Challa had part of that in talking down Thanos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, who else did I love? I loved so much of it. Um, I thought, oh, who am I thinking of? Oh, in the beginning, again, with those recreations of those yeah. iconic scenes. And so it kind of ties back into the world that we know. And it's like one small thing changes, but it's still so familiar. And back in the beginning of him going to take the item and just the way he took it was also different he didn't try and like replace it with another one he just used technology and it worked so much better and I thought that was another interesting showing the differences between T'Challa and Peter Quill and how they go about problem solving and then you have the character they introduce he's trying to fight T'Challa, but then he's like, should I bow? And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's a line from, like, Infinity War when Bruce Banner is like, should we bow? And, like, yes, he's a king. Of course you should bow. But, no, he's just messing with you. Yeah. Um, that was great. His, so, his fanboy. Yeah, his mm-hmm. fanboying over. What, that character's name is Zorath or something like that? I, I'm no totally idea. blanking on his name. <laughs> but he was fantastic in this, and I loved his fanboying over T'Challa. And, of course, yeah, that, that difference of when Peter Quill says those those words in the Guardians movie, that character has no idea who he is. And he's like, come on, man, Star-Lord, this and that. But here, everybody knows who Star-Lord is. So yeah, like you said, it's taking that familiarity and then changing something. And it was really delightful in this case. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why Star-Lord's more recognized is because he's a hero in this storyline. Peter Quill's Star-Lord was kind of a villain. He was a thief. He was another they're both forms of like robin hood but peter quill was more of a selfish robin hood compared to t'challa who's a giving robin hood and so that was like a fun difference also yeah absolutely especially when we first meet peter quill before he goes through you know the growth that he goes through over the movies that we've seen him in, he was very much in that very kind of uh, immature state and we do see alternate peter quill and at the end of this episode too which was kind of fun in the dairy queen with Space Age Love Song playing, which was also featured in Spider-Man Homecoming at the dance scene. So I thought that was that was cool. I don't think there's any intentional connection with the song playing in both, but it's a great song. And then Ego showing up at the end. So do you think that that's leading into something we might see in a future season of What If? That's one of the more frustrating things of me watching this is that there are these hints of future storylines. You have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, I... Because he talks about how this is the end of that world. And I'm like, well, tell me more. Why wasn't that the story? What do you mean the end of the world for this timeline? Yeah. Like, is Ego their Thanos? 
but at the same time, so the collectors, also they're Thanos. So it's kind of like these two Thanos people, one for Earth, one for space. Um, oh, as in like These are the big villains of this timeline. And I was like, oh, completely different. And how um, T'Challa was able to talk Thanos down, Peter Quill not talk his dad down, not talk down ego. Right. But he was still able to beat him um, because of his upbringing. And so if Peter Quill wasn't there in space to beat him, Ego would have become a much bigger villain than what he was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And so again, how does the person affect the world around you? Peter Quill stops this god who would have been so much worse if he wasn't there at the right time, right place. Great so point. The what if really messes with your mind, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And I would say that of these episodes, the one that messed with my mind the most was this third one, which I'm excited to talk a little bit more about. As I said, I would say that it's it's my favorite, both because of the content of it, but also because it came third, I think. And, and as I said, it kind of built to me. I do also want to say that I absolutely enjoyed the first episode, especially having Haley Atwell back and performing as Captain Carter. And I absolutely adored hearing Chadwick Boseman's voice again as T'Challa. And it was just so, especially in light of the loss of Chadwick last summer, it was very, very heartwarming to hear him again and playing this character who, again, is such a beacon of light. And for everything that is said about Chadwick Boseman, he was very much the same way as as a colleague and as just a, a person in the world. So it was really, really lovely and, and heartwarming to to see that character again, knowing that in the future live action films, we won't have Chadwick to act as him. Going back to episode two also, I just wanted to quickly talk about all those Easter eggs oh, put yes. into like a one minute span in the collector's collection. Yes, we didn't even of, mention that. There was like the dark elf from like Thor Dark World was like one of the captives. Is that the word captives? <laughs> captives, I guess, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, captives. I like captives. Um, Maybe Captain is like a Captain America fan or a Captain Marvel fan. <laughs> I'm a, oh, I'm a Captain, a Captain Carter fan. Well, we're just a Captain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also liked the showing, like the quick showing of like the shield and Mjolnir being there. And then Hela's like, headpiece like that was cool and the offhand comment of Korg being dead yeah that I was like oh my god what I was like that's so sad I'm okay with like everyone else dying but he was such <laughs> a loving character I was like wow that's like one step too far anyone but um so it's like hey we're showing a revolution want to join but Revolution didn't work well in this universe well, so it was sad speaking of Ragnarok I did also have another one of those like what if moments if we have Tavon the Collector here, who has Hela's antlers headpiece, um, then that would mean that he defeated her, which would mean, I believe, that Asgard doesn't get destroyed. So that's kind of a... Well, I mean... But he also defeated Thor and Captain America. And oh, because he has someone those, pointed yeah. out one of Loki's daggers is also in the case. Holy so cow. I think it's safe to say Asgard is no longer existing in this world either. Um, so I think the collector is really powerful and it's yeah. really a right place, strong time. Like um, Chris Hemsworth, he's like the strongest Avenger is Thor. Is he like, he's dead in this universe. I don't know. Twice if it's over, like yeah. the, 
yeah. So I'm not really sure. Um, that's just going back to Captain Marvel being the most powerful Avenger. But, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's interesting. It is. And and speaking of the death of, of the Avengers, that third episode really just it delighted me all throughout. It was weirdly dark. Like, I was not expecting it to get that dark because it opened again. I had no, no idea what to expect out of this one. It opens with Fury saying there was an idea to bring together a group. You know, my favorite line, of course, name the podcast after it. And that little bit where Black Widow interrupts and, you know, she knows the speech already, which is great. We see Tony in the donut. I'm like, all right, this is great. Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. Yep. And then it's just like, he drops dead. I I was like, whoa, okay. You got me here. They killed him twice now, like twice over, dead so far. I'm like, wow, that's tough. (laughs) Like, so tough when he died the first time and now again (laughs) yeah and this time in a much less heroic kind of way in you know right after the donut with a hangover as my widow tells us yeah um but yeah so i wasn't expecting that i was like okay this is interesting and then it i love that nick fury is our frame of reference character here too right because this was so cool and satisfying to me to go back so many years to iron man 2 hulk the Incredible Hulk movie and Thor, the first one, and that animated little summary of those three movies and kind of reframing it to be like, okay, what was what was this week like from Nick Fury's perspective? We saw some of Nick Fury in all of those movies, but to see it from his experience, I was like, okay, I'm in. This is going to be really cool. He's a busy man. He's got a lot going on in a week. Yeah. And then like the week after that, they find Captain America then a few days after that, Avengers happen. And so it's like all disrupted, which is funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's very busy. He's got a lot going on. <laughs> he sure does. And uh, Samuel, L. Samuel L. Jackson did do the voice here, which I thought was great. Some of the original cast is not returning to do the voices and some did. Yeah, and- almost everyone except uh, Chris Evans. Robert Downey Jr. didn't do it. ScarJo did not uh, do it either. Yeah. Nor did... But Chris Evans was played else. by Josh Keaton, I think. And I thought he did a great job. Yes, I agree. I was like, wow, <laughs> good for you. I thought the voice actor for Tony Stark did a great job too. And I, I did read that he has voiced Tony Stark in some other Marvel animated. So that makes sense. Yeah, I, I like being able to tell like, oh. This person has done voice acting before. They're really good at it. Yeah. Um, compared to someone else who seems like a bit more stiff as if they're just acting. And like, I kind of feel like I know they're acting with their body and not so much with their voice. And so it doesn't always translate as well. Um, so I thought that was fun yeah. to hear the differences not in to, experience. Not to call out your boy too much, but I felt like with Sebastian Stan, it was a little awkward. <laughs> like line by line, he was kind of saying it. I also kind of felt the same with Haley Atwell at points mm. where it was kind of just the line was being said rather than acted as much. It's just a different form of work for them, which was interesting. Yeah, it but is. I also loved it also being the same actors and actresses. So It's cool when they are. It's very cool when they are. Another actor who did return to voice his character is Clark Gregg as Coulson. And I'm always delighted by Coulson. I love what they did with him in this episode with the ongoing joke about Thor's hair and smelling like lavender. And I, I just got to know what you think of his password. 
Uh, hashtag Steve, 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 I heart Steve 0704. <laughs> Amazing. Like, 0704, like, July 4th is his birthday. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun delivery, I thought, of, like, the hesitancy and Natasha being like, tell me it right now. Like, I need to know. Um, oh, I was also so happy we didn't have to see Natasha die. It was kind of just, like, cutscene. Mm-hmm. I hated seeing Hulk die. That was so disturbing for me. That was like, the worst. Because the head stayed small. <laughs> and that's what made it so much worse. I wish he... All of, like, the head seemed so... Un- I don't know. It reminded me too much of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the Blueberry Girl. Oh, great comparison. Also awful. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty disturbing. So... Contrasting with your earlier point of episode two having like a nice sweet message with kind Thanos, you know, for the kids. <laughs> and then here it's like mm, Hulk's, Hulk's heart is literally exploding. Awful. Mm-hmm. That was very disturbing. But there was a lot of really cool things in this episode that were callbacks to the movies. And Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, and the first Thor movie are not among my favorite movies in the MCU. I've never seen Incredible Hulk. I remember you so, saying that. Now. I was so confused when like these people were introduced. I'm like, there's definitely background storylines that I'm supposed to know. And it wasn't until like reading after where people were like, oh, my God, his like two love interests work together at the same time. I'm like, he had another love interest. <laughs> yeah. So it was very interesting to see that. But yeah. I like the familiarity of his lines like this isn't going to work. I can't be killed. I was like, that's a nice consistency. And then he's killed. So yeah. it's interesting. Well, Funny, ironic. What's really interesting, especially talking to you about this as, as somebody who hasn't seen Incredible Hulk, you know, I, I've largely told people who have gotten into the MCU recently and specifically who have been watching it through Disney Plus who have said, oh, Incredible Hulk's not on Disney Plus. I've largely been like, eh, you know, for the most part, it's skippable. And, you know, I guess there's Ross, but this and that and whatever. I think that the MCU is basically... I love what they're doing and basically taking, again, three of perhaps they are some people's favorites, but three of the films that don't stand up as much. They're three of the older phase one films and basically bringing them back in here in this what if and kind of saying, oh, these worlds are still relevant. I think that was really, really cool. And I love revisiting something from so many years ago and seeing the character of Betty Ross, who is played by Liv Tyler in the film. It's like she hasn't been around in years. It's as if the universe forgot her. And then it's like, no, we didn't forget her. You're going to see her in this animated what if. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. It is interesting to me that they animated the Hulk Bruce Banner to look like Mark Ruffalo and not Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah, because they had the different actors. That's part of the reason why I didn't see it. Because I was so used to seeing Mark Ruffalo now that I was like, I'm just going to be confused. I don't know if I can do this. So Maybe I'll watch it. Like, it was after watching the third episode yesterday, I was like, okay, I don't know who really most of these people are for, like, the Hulk episode. I feel like I should probably watch it. Um, So I might watch it later. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worthwhile, even if it is weird to not have rough. It'll be a different CGI level compared to other Marvel movies also. And the Hulk Um, looks different, too. So that'll be interesting. But, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so I really enjoyed what this episode was doing with, again, that familiarity. I love, again, the reprise of the line, there was an idea, but this time Fury saying it like, there was an idea, right? This kind of tone of 
defeat and like it was in the past and i thought it was great i thought it was a great murder mystery as it was unfolding i had no idea who was killing these would-be avengers i really had no idea thought it was going to be ant-man once natasha was flying around i was like oh it's ant-man sure then it wasn't it was the wasp it was hank pym as the wasp and i was like oh i still wasn't right as yellow jacket i think right isn't yellow jacket his yellow jacket because in the first ant-man that other guy is yellow jacket anyway okay so maybe it's that where he, like he's reprising that kind of like villain role and replacing that i think and that's using what it, it is. for bad um because there's no wasp because she's dead yeah but yeah it was very interesting but yeah like, so when you he says hope it's all about hope i was like oh i get it <laughs> so that was fun yeah i thought that was great too and yeah, at first, the first time I watched it, I wasn't looking at the screen that she pulled up as closely. And on the screen, it has the files for at least Janet Van Dyne. And I'm guessing then it also showed hope on it. But when she's going, hope, it's all about hope. I kind of just thought she meant like hope, like <laughs> the concept of hope. That's what Fury thought. And he was going to use the beeper for Captain Marvel. And I was like, hope. this is another recreation of an iconic scene. That we see at the end of Infinity War. I was like, that's awesome. Um, yep, I love creation of Captain Marvel coming back, but instead it was like, where's Fury? It's where's the fight or something. Yeah. Um, so I like the small changes in lines that we're familiar with. Also. Absolutely. Loved seeing the. Wait, I think Coulson goes, is that a beeper from the 90s? Like, that was great. And uh, yeah, seeing Hank Pym as Yellow Jack, I thought that was really cool and unexpected. And. Well, why did you think it would be Ant-Man? What were your hints Because there? I was thinking the Ant-Man um, trilogy would just moved up in this timeline oh, okay. rather than it's still in the future. So I was like, oh, Ant-Man, he's just like earlier on. He's They already have a relationship and everything. So he's upset that Hope died with something. But it was Hank being upset that Hope died. That makes a lot of sense. I, I didn't even speculate on Ant-Man, but that makes a lot of sense. And you're right. Once they started flying around, I was like, okay. Yeah. Oh, and another another thing, another moment of familiarity is Loki's speech about humans uh, craving subjugation, of course, from Avengers. So that's the other movie that kind of gets thrown in here. He has a great line introducing himself as the rightful king of Jotunheim. Yeah. So that's another timeline that is sped up. Um, and he's already referring to himself as like the crown prince of Asgard. And so, yeah, it's all for, like, Thor's revenge, and he's avenging his brother. Um, but at the same time, it's definitely selfish, because we know where Loki oh, yeah. is in this point in his timeline, kind of. And so we know he was already probably going to take over Earth, and so it's kind of like, ooh, I'm going to use this agenda now. It's no longer my, it's like, it's his glorious purpose. He didn't say it. Kind of yeah. wish they said glorious purpose. I know, I always love but it. But <laughs> the rightful king of Jotunheim, I thought that was a, oh, he's aware of himself at this yeah. point in time. And it's earlier than we thought. And so it's cool. Great point. I had the thought that perhaps this variant of Loki, this alternate universe version of Loki, is the one that we see as the president Loki. Yes, I was okay. thinking that too. Because at first I wasn't sure... Because even when he was standing in front of everyone, he was still in, like, his Loki outfit, his Loki garb and all that. And he's not in the suit. But I was like, maybe it's further down the line when they get him in the timeline. 
So yeah, that's kind of what I was was thinking thinking is like, we see him over the TV screens talking to the peoples of the world. And I I could see, yeah, I could see a little further down the line that that character becoming the president Loki uh, in, in this universe. Really, really satisfying, really delightful this episode. And of course, because I uh, have this sentimentality over the original Avengers and Nick Fury, I loved at the end when he said the Avengers were always meant to be more than a team. They were an idea. The affirmation of humanity's need to believe that in our darkest hour, we will find our heroes. And I was quite touched by the scene with him and Coulson with the coffins laid out for five of the six original Avengers, I was like, damn, what if, right? Like this is, this is dark. And of course, then that leads to, all right, if those five aren't on the original Avengers team, who does Fury go to? And Captain America got really lucky of frosting like a week later. Like (laughs) he was lucky. Um, But so now we have Captain Marvel and Captain America meeting earlier than expected. Captees. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think so. Did Fury hit signal the beeper for Captain Marvel? When, I thought he had just put it away. I was guessing that he. I didn't necessarily. I don't necessarily remember exactly what the screen shows, but I. I guessed that he must have signaled the beeper, perhaps off screen. Okay, because she shows up for it. Yeah. Um, but then that doesn't happen, and so it's kind of like oh. Are they going to fight Loki now when he's already taken over the world? Um, Like, what's the fight that he's waking them up for? Because for Captain America, it's very much, wake up, you're continuing war, just a different one this time. Right. Um, And so now, what war is he going to be woken up to now? Like, is it Loki? Is it for Loki against someone else? It's fun. Yeah. What if? (laughs) What if? And this new new team, perhaps, Captain America, Captain Marvel, who knows who else, they would really be living up to the name Avengers in that they would be avenging, right? These these original people who, who Fury had on his team or wanted to have on his team. So moving into the rest of this series, what is on your mind in terms of things that you think we might see or that you're hoping to see? And just kind of largely, how does this series fit in with the rest of phase four? Like, I am waiting to see the long-haired Bucky catching (laughs) the shield. Like, I am so ready for the episode where they're on the train. And then it looks like he's fighting, like, zombie Steve. Or maybe that's two separate episodes and they just clip them together to make, like, confuse us or something. Um, Who knows? But I'm very excited for the second Bucky episode. Um, I think it's fun that he gets to come up twice and then Chadwick Bosman he's going to voice in I think two more future episodes I read somewhere so I'm excited for that also sad that like this is his final time acting like that we're going to hear him really um but it's bittersweet yeah absolutely I'm definitely looking forward to what happens with the zombies (laughs) yeah and how it happened yeah was it the serum gone wrong like yeah no that's going to be cool to see. And I am also excited to see some of the pieces of th- this world or these multiple worlds coming together at some point, right? We know we're going to see T'Challa again. So will those be different versions of T'Challa or will this be the T'Challa Star-Lord? And so I'm I'm very intrigued as to what's going to unfold. And like, like I said, I was not entirely... Um, 
energized or excited about this series uh, when it first came out. But now that we're three episodes in, I'm really, really excited about what comes next. Yeah, I was so energized. I was like animated Bucky Barnes. Like, this is great. It's like two of my favorite things. I was so ready. Um, And so far, it's living up to what I wanted. Just now it clicks into place for how it's happening. So it's good. Um, I'm a, I still don't completely understand. So this is all what if happened or this is happening as the multiverse was open. That I don't understand if it was Great the watcher question. talking about like his past timelines that he had to shut down or if it's current timeline that he's working through or it's future timelines that we won't see happen until the future, which I honestly don't hope because that would be so confusing to see yeah. them all have to act this out as people. Yeah. So confused. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's like, a great question, too. And depending on the answer to that, that will dictate more about what the impact of the show has on this, the MCU as a whole, right? Because it's being phrased as a what if, but then we also know that the multiverse just opened, right? So is it as much as a what if as yeah. a this is now a reality? Yes. And to what extent is the MCU as we move forward going to subscribe to or maintain this idea of a sacred timeline? The people who were talking about a quote unquote sacred timeline in the Loki show ended up being the antagonists, right? So is the idea of a sacred timeline even something that we should be hoping for or adhering to? Is I want to for me to understand, yeah. <laughs> but I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is the MCU as we know it, the Infinity Saga, in which the offense of Infinity War and Endgame happen, like, is that the darkest timeline? Is that not actually the sacred timeline? Is there any such thing as a sacred timeline? Are all of these meant to coexist? Are we supposed to give as much weight to a world in a world in which what if Earth lost its mightiest heroes, does that have equal weight to the world that we already saw unfold over 25 movies? Mm -hmm. We have these happy moments of, like you think you have a happy storyline, like this might be the sacred storyline. Like there's no Winter Soldier. Steve and Peggy are so happy. They're both powerful. Um, And then Peggy, she ends up being in the ice. So, okay. That's not, like, a perfect storyline. And then Happy Thanos, like, there's no endgame. Half the world is a sapped apart. It doesn't lead to all of this events in Falcon and the Winter Soldier that led to so much divide. So is that a happy storyline? No, because now there's ego. Um, And so it's kind of like there is no perfect world. There is no perfect timeline. And so is it really sacred if other worlds aren't that much better? And that's not much better than the other worlds. So it's interesting. It really is. It really is. And it's yeah, interesting to see how it's going to unfold. It's like, for the sacred timeline, Thanos was defeated, but Tony Stark died. Yes. And so it's, again, that, like, payoff of kind of, like, evening out, like, for every, there's an equal reaction. Like, every action, yeah. equal opposite reaction. Yeah, it reminds so. me of the the game Would You Rather, where you have premises where it's like, okay, you get this really, really good benefit, but it comes along with this cost. And then in the other option, you have this benefit, but this other cost, right? Um, so I think that's that's cool how you're, how you're articulating that and pointing that out. Before we wrap up here today, do you have any last thoughts on your mind about the series or anything from any of the episodes that we just haven't touched on yet? 
Oh, the Howard the Duck scenes in oh, yeah. episode two that I enjoyed. Um, and Cosmo the Space Dog being a stowaway and the end. Like, that was like a fun little happy thing. Um, just kind of tiny things like that I really enjoyed with the T'Challa episode. Yeah, I agree. Well, as always, it was a pleasure to talk to you about this world of Marvel and to hear your insights and inputs as not just a Stucky fan, but <laughs> but not just a Sebastian Stan Stan, but as somebody <laughs> who has a lot of really interesting thoughts to share. So I am absolutely looking forward to continuing to talk to you as this series, What If, unfolds. I'm going to be messaging you and being like, what did you think of the long hair or the zombies or Sounds whatever good. it might be? <laughs> it will be. I love it almost definitely. Yes. Um, I really hope it all ties in so we do find out. Like, it's not just the series ends. It's a when does the what if episodes actually take place. I'm a bit nervous now about if that will be wrapped up nicely. Because yeah, it so does seem like every episode is not connected. So we'll see. Yeah, we have a lot to to still discover so thank you so much again emily and we will absolutely be in touch and in the meantime i'm trying to think of something funny to say thanks for having me (laughs) (laughs) if you enjoyed this conversation about the first three episodes of what if you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on instagram and twitter artwork was designed by brooke pender who you can follow at bpender illustrations on instagram Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week to hear my initial reactions to Shang-Chi, and the following week for a discussion about episodes four and five of What If. <laughs>